We are picking up in our catechism tonight on question number eight, what is God? And I want you to remember that last week and the week before we have been studying on the Word of God, what it is, how we know the Bible is the Word of God. But the last two questions, questions six and seven, are the two I want you to keep in your memory as we go into question number eight because it's all going to fit together. For instance, uh, question number six is, may all men make use of the Scriptures? And the answer was, they're not only permitted, but they're commanded and exhorted to read the Word, to hear the Word, and to understand the Word of God. And then in question number seven, we figure out what the Scriptures mainly teach. And the answer is, the Scriptures mainly teach what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. So, for instance, we are God's creation, correct? We were created for a purpose, correct? And God has chosen that He is going to reveal Himself to His creation through His Word. He gives it to man, man writes it down. Remember, we looked at the Scriptures and saw where God commanded. He told Moses, Moses, write it down. He told uh, the prophets, write it down. He told the apostles, write it down. He inspired them and He told them to write down His Word and the purpose was was for the Scriptures to reveal to His creation who He is and what we are to believe about Him and to show us what our duty toward Him is. Now in light of that, if we are commanded and exhorted to read here and understand the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are going to teach us what we are to believe about God. Remember, it's, here's the problem with the world today, or at least one of the problems. We just believe whatever we want to about God. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, well, to me, God is not like this. To me, God wouldn't do this. Or they'll say, well, if that's the way God is, then that's not my God, Right? And so we build God in our own image in who we want Him to be. Well, the problem is God has gave us the Scriptures to tell us this is who He is. This is God's Word and God says to His creation, this is who I am. This is what you are to believe about who I am. Now with taking that, we go into question number 8 this week. And question number 8 is this. What is God? Well, why is that important? Why is it important that you know what God is? So you know what you believe. So you know what to expect from this God, who this God is, what this God is about, why He does what He does. But we have to have a biblical Word of God view about what is God. And so let's answer that question tonight. What is God? Answer. God is a spirit. Anybody want to give me some enlightenment on that? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, but but now before we get to that, before we get to that, because all that is true, what does it mean that God is a spirit? That's what He is. What does that mean? So He's not like us. 
Okay. Anybody else? So we have to worship Him in spirit. Okay. Anybody else? What does that mean? God is spirit. He is all things and in all things. Okay. So He's not physical. Okay. All right. Anybody else? So He's not made of something that is created. Correct? There's nothing physical about who God is or what God is. God is completely opposite of everything that is created. That's not what He is. All right. What? Anybody else? That's right. So the physical things that we enjoy demonstrate to us what He is like, right? Who, who His character is, what His attributes are. But they are not what He is, correct? So even though man is made in the image of God, God is not like man, correct? God is not physical. God is not a... All right. Anybody else? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. The commandments. When God said, you shall not fashion an image after me. Don't make an idol. Why is that so important that we not... Why, why does it matter that we don't have this wooden representation or this golden representation or this silver representation or whatever. Why is it important that God says, do not make an image after me? No, you're on it. Okay. Okay? But, I mean, think about it. Now, hold on. Because we wear crosses around our neck, right? So, I mean, we have images that we fashion that say, okay, this represents this. And so why can't we make something that says, this represents God? Okay? Let me ask you this. If God is spirit and there is nothing physical that can tell you who He is or what He is, only can demonstrate likenesses of His character, His attributes, if that is true, then what will you make that will be able to compare to Him? That's exactly right. And so it, it, there is nothing that you can do that is going to be of worthiness to be able to say that this is what we can worship as the likeness of God. Here's the point. I think it was in Isaiah 41. 
Let me look at that real quick, see if that's it. I think it's Isaiah 41. It's somewhere around 40, 41. But basically God tells them, to what will you compare me with? Is basically what he says in... That's exactly right. I'd have to find it again. You may be... Let's look at Isaiah 40. There you go. Thank you, Tammy. Let's start in verse... Um, Eighteen. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 18. <clears throat> to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with Him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts cast for it silver change, he, he who is too impoverished for an offering will choose wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. You see the point that Isaiah is making here? Some people can make it out of gold with silver chains. If somebody can't afford the gold, then he'll cut a tree and he can seek out a craftsman that can mold something that will stand on its own. But then in verse 21, look what he says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And when He blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. So He points out golden images. He points out wooden images that are skillfully made. Then He points out even the rulers of this world. He says, imagine that my likeness were as if it were one of your kings. King David even. One of the greatest kings that we've ever known, right? King Solomon, the man that wrote the book of Proverbs, the, uh, the, the man that was the wisest in all the world, had it all. And yet, even he, the Bible says right here, they're scarcely planted, scarcely sown. He blows on them and they wither away. And then he says down here in verse 25, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, on high and see who created these. Who created the gold? Who created the silver? Who created the smith that made them? Who created the tree? Who created the wood? Who created the, the woodsman that can carve it out? Who created the king? Who created David? Who created Solomon? And yet... To what will you liken? To whom will you compare me that I should be like him? 
He who bring, in verse 26, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. And so you could go on down through there, but go to, skip down to verse 28 right there, same chapter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now we've referenced that scripture a lot of times as a promise to us. But that's not necessarily a promise to us. What this is is just saying God is the one that gives strength to everything that has strength. And He is the one that can take the oldest of the old and make and lift them up with wings like eagles and make them run and not grow weary and make them walk and never faint. He is the one that gives everything to everybody. He gives life to everything that has life and He creates everything that has been created. So then to what will you liken Him? And to whom will you compare Him with? And the point is, nothing and no one. Because God is spirit. He is the creator of everything that is. This is important that we understand this, right? Because this determines how we worship Him. As Robert said a minute ago, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him how? In spirit and how? And truth. You can't worship Him in spirit and you can't worship Him in truth if you don't know who He is and what He is and you don't know what the truth about Him is. Right? Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Because they're not gods. And that's the next question that we get to in question now. We're not going to go there yet, but your point being made, are there more than more gods than one? So if God is spirit, and let's keep going. <clears throat> is there anybody else that's got something on God is spirit before I move forward? So God is spirit. So that means He's not made of physical matter, but instead He has this wonderful kind of existence that is completely outside of anything that is created. And all these things that are created are only glimpses of what He is like. So therefore, when I say God is spirit, if these things that are created are just glimpses of what, if he, what He's like, then that means that God being a spirit means that He has a wonderful kind of existence that is far greater than anything we've ever imagined. That's right. And we're going to get to that next. Because this, this is, that's the point of the next part right here. It says, God is a spirit. He is infinite. What does infinite mean? Well, no. Yes and no. Limitless. Limitless. Because the next one is that He's inter- eternal. And eternal would mean 
No beginning, no end. Forever and ever. So distinguish between the two. Infinite being there is no limit to anything that He has. There's no limit to His knowledge. There's no limit to His being. There's no limit to His power. There's no limit to His goodness. There's no lim- So go on and on. He is infinite. He is eternal. And He is unchangeable. Unchangeable. That means that God is the same what? And forever. He is unchangeable. He cannot change. And He will not change. And here's what He is all these things in. So He is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in His being. How is God um, infinite in His being? What does that mean? I tell you what, Judy, look up Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. Dinah, look up Psalm 139, verses 7 through 16. Fagan, look up Proverbs 15, verse 3. We'll just stop with those. I'm sorry. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. And Dinah was Psalm 139, verse 7 through 16. Fagan is Proverbs 15, verse 3. Judy, whenever you get that, read that. And remember, as she reads this, we're looking for the Word of God that teaches us what we are to believe about God, right? So, let's see what Jeremiah says about God being infinite in His being. Go ahead, Judy, whenever you're ready. What verse was that? Verse what? All right. Now, what did you see in there about God being infinite in His being? How do you see that? Give me specifically what it says that told you He's everywhere. There you go. Where are you going to go that He is not there? Where can you go? All right, let's see if that's true. Dinah, read your Psalm 139, start in verse 7. Actually, start in verse 6 and go through verse 16. Y'all listen closely. Thank you. 
So, can you hide from God in the womb? So when I was so what he said was when I was in the womb, where was God? He was there. Okay. Can you ascend to the heavens somewhere and get away from him? All right. Can you go to the deepest of the depths? Can you go to the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean or to the center of the earth's core? Can you go there and get away from God? <clears throat> can, <laughs> can you go into the darkest of the darkest places that you can't even see? Your hand, if it were right on top of your eyes, can you go to the dark and get away from God? There is nowhere that you can go. And so when it says that God is limitless in His being, it's really talking about, here's a big fancy word, but it's really talking about God's omnipresence. What does omnipresence mean? Somebody sum that up for me. Present everywhere, right? Present everywhere. I don't care where it is. Present everywhere. If I can give me Proverbs 15 verse 3. Where are the eyes of the Lord at? If I were to say that God is everywhere, does that leave anywhere out? I don't care anything that's created, wherever it is. I don't care if you're on Jupiter. I don't care if you're on the furthest planet to the outer parts of the, of the universe. No matter where you are, the eyes of the Lord are there. The, the um, Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, he said, um, For in Him we live and move and have our being. For in Him, in Him, we live and move and have our being. So God is infinite, infinite in His being. God is eternal in His being. What did eternal mean again? Forever. So will there ever be a time in your life that God is not everywhere that you are? Has there ever been a time in anyone's life that God was not there? Will there ever be a time in anyone's life or in any place that God is not there? So God is infinite in His being. God is eternal in His being. And then God is unchangeable in His being. So let me ask you this. Will that ever change about God? This is what it means to be God. This is what God is. It's important that you understand this. This is who God is. This is what God is. Alright? And next we have His wisdom. What does it mean that God is infinite in His wisdom? Before you ever... Before the foundations of the earth... Let's take it back even further than that. Before the foundations of the earth were ever created. Tell me why that's amazing. <laughs> I know, but tell me. Uh-huh. 
Let me, let me tell you what I think you're getting at. You, you said it, but here's where the words I don't think you're finding. He knew everything about you. Everything. And yet still sent His Son to die for you. Let's take it, let's take it back to Genesis. He knew everything about man when He created Adam and Eve and still said, it is very good. Now you, you take that for just a minute. He knew everything about every deed that you would ever do, have ever done, will ever do, and still looked at His creation and said, it's good. It's good. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So let's look at what that means to be infinite in wisdom. All right? Because we're going to have to define wisdom to understand what that means. So let's look at um, um, Mac. You got a Bible? Look up um, Job chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Tammy, look up Isaiah chapter forty, verse twenty-eight. Uh huh. Robert. Look up Romans chapter 11, verse 33. I got many more, but I'm just going to do three, three at a time. And remember, we are looking as they read these Scriptures. I want you to listen and see if you can hear the Word of God tell you that God is infinite in wisdom. Mac, whenever you get Job chapter 12, verse 13, go ahead and read yeah. So with him is wisdom and strength. So when Job wanted to find out where it was, because that's what he's looking for in this chapter. He wants to know where is wisdom. And his answer to, to that question is, it's with him. That's where you find wisdom. It's with him is where you find counsel, where you find understanding, where you find wisdom. Go ahead, uh, Tammy, what was, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 28. What does that mean, his understanding is unsearchable? <laughs> you can't understand his understanding, right? Okay. All right. That's right. Robert, what does the Word of God tell you about God's infinite wisdom? Past finding out. Oh, the depth of the wisdom. The riches of God's wisdom. Oh, the depth. What is depth? That's deep, ain't it? That's deep. And he says, His 
understandings are unsearchable. They are past finding out. There's another scripture you go to in 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 1 maybe. It says that um, um, who has gave him counsel? Who's ever, has God ever gone to anybody and said, hey, let me get your advice on this? Don't happen, does it? And the reason it don't happen is because God is infinite in His wisdom. Now let's define wisdom. What is wisdom? Is it, because wisdom is not necessarily counsel, correct? It can be. Counsel can be wise, right? Wisdom is not necessarily teaching, although teaching can be wise. But what is wisdom? It's a discernment, it's an ability. Alright, so go ahead. Anybody else? Alright, so, but can, there you go. Knowledge plus good judgment, or maybe experience, maybe not. The point being is that knowledge alone does not make one wise, right? I can know all kind of things and not be wise. But knowledge plus good judgment, good discernment, being able to decipher what direction to go with this knowledge is one thing that makes one wise. So define wisdom like this. The ability to devise perfect ends to achieve it by perfect means, to see the end from the beginning, to see it all in focus, each in proper relation to everything else, and is able to work toward goals with flawless precision. So to be able to have enough knowledge that I can know that if I do this, it's going to affect this, 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 and this, but it's always going to work out to the good of all involved. That is a very good definition of wisdom. And so I can counsel somebody toward that and it be wise counsel. I can teach someone so that they have the knowledge to be able to do this and it be wise teaching. I can give someone knowledge through that, but knowledge alone does not make one wise. Wisdom is the ability to be able to take this knowledge and be able to see enough of the picture or all of the picture from beginning to end so that I can make the decisions that are going to work good out in all the situations for everyone involved. God alone is wise. I can have some wisdom with the knowledge that I have and make wise choices, but God alone is wise. And so God is infinite in His wisdom. You think about it. When God created and knowing who we were, what we would be, knowing the things that we would do, and yet Him laying out the plan the way that He did so that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God alone can from the before the foundation of the earth wherever created, can lay this thing out so that it is wise. And so that everything that takes place, even the most evil in the world, God is able to see and use everything that is so that it works out for the good of 
everyone involved, God included. And God alone is wise. So God is infinite in His wisdom. (laughs) He can see it all. He knows the beginning to the end of everything and everyone, right? God is infinite in His wisdom. God is eternal in this wisdom. Will there ever come a time that God is not wise? And then God is unchangeable in this wisdom. Will there ever come a time that God will not be wise? That God will lose His wisdom or that God will choose to not be wise? Because let's face it, have you ever chose to not be wise in your life? (laughs) You ever known the right thing to do and still not done it? There will never come a time in God, and there will never come a time in eternity that God will ever know what is good and what is right and choose to not do it. God is unchangeable in His wisdom. And then His power. We probably don't have time to finish all this, but we'll look at a few scriptures on His power. God is infinite in His power. What does that mean? God is infinite in His power. Is there anything that God can't do? Anything. Is there anybody that God can't save? Should He choose to save them? (laughs) Let's look at just a few scriptures to see if we're correct in this. Somebody, um, let's see here. Nikki, look up Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 verse 23. Lee, you got a Bible? Look up uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. Mary, look up um, Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 27. And then, um, Eddie, you got, got your Bible? Look up Genesis, chapter 18, verse 14. We'll just do those four for this. Numbers 11, verse 23. And whenever you get it, go ahead and read it. And remember when she reads it, we're looking for God's being infinite in power. So is the hand of God shortened? And if you were to get in there and you were to read the rest of it, you will find out the answer to that is no. And you're going to see it. All right. Uh, Lee, give me Psalm 33, verse 6. Yes, ma'am. All right, so by the word of the Lord were all the heavens made. How did God make them? You know anybody else that can say, let there be light? I'm not talking about artificial. I'm not talking about a light switch. Let there be light. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about let there be light and their sun. And then it says that the host of the heavens, all the stars, all the moons, all the, all the hosts of the heavens by the breath of His mouth. 
That's, that's how it came to be. All right, Mary, give me Jeremiah 32, verse 27. All right. So God Himself looked down and asked His people, I'm the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? What do you think the, do you think that the correct answer would have been for them to look back and go, well, you know, I don't know if you could really do this. What do you think the correct answer is? You can do anything. What, but, but what if it's a, what if it's a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman that wants to have a baby? Eddie, give me Genesis chapter... Um, Eddie, read, chapter, read Genesis 18, verse 14. You know, I ain't trying to embarrass nobody, and I don't mean to do this, but I just got to ask. Meemaw, how old are you? 89. If God were to tell you that um, you're going to have a baby, <laughs> do you understand why Sarah laughed? Uh-huh. And yet, what happened? Is anything too hard for God? God is infinite in His power. God is eternal. What's that? God is eternal in His power, meaning there will never come a time that His power will not be infinite. And God is unchanging in His power. There will never come a time to where He doesn't consistently act the same and do the same with His power as He always has. And then... I, I, we don't have time tonight, but God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His holiness, and the same in His justice, the same in His goodness, and the same in His truth. This is what God is. God is a spirit who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all of those things. That's who God is. And the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelations tell us this is who God is. So with that, question number nine. Are there more gods than one? Is there anything or anybody else that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in their being, their wisdom, their power, their holiness, their justice, their goodness, and their truth? None. There is only one true and living God. And He is the God who created all things, 
to which nothing shall be compared to Him or likened to Him, and He alone is worthy of worship and praise and worthy of our lives. This is who God is. That's all they can do. They, they literally, they cannot leave His side unless He bids them to go and they want to come back because all they can do is stand on each side of His throne and cry to each other that God is holy. And what does it mean that God is holy? Y'all already know this by now. I've preached this to you so many times. What does it mean that God is holy? That there is nothing and no one like Him in His beauty, in His wisdom, in His power, in His being, in His justice, in His truth, in His goodness. There is nothing and no one like Him. And the only thing the angels can do is stand there and look at Him and who He is in this infinite being. And all they can say is, Holy, Holy, Holy. There's nothing like Him. There's no one like Him. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to see. All right. Any questions tonight? All right, what does it say? That's right, it sums it up. It talks about His knowledge. His knowledge, His wisdom, His power, His everything is, is in that. You're right. All right, so here's what we'll do. We'll pick up next Wednesday on... Oh, well, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're going to do the bingo next Wednesday with the kids, or uh, with the youth. If, um, if, you're, if you're not doing the bingo, I'm going to send out a message and I'll try to get as many as I can to come in. And we'll probably go ahead and decorate next Wednesday while some of them are back there doing the bingo. So we'll get our decorations done for anybody that's not active back there and uh, get our lights put up and um, just decorate the place in ice for Christmas and for Advent. And then... Um, the next week, what I want you to be studying on is question number 10. How many persons are there in the Godhead? We're going to study that and we're going to see what it means that God is three persons, one God. What does that, what does that mean and how do we need to see that? Because again, we're, we're talking about what, what the Scriptures teach us about who God is, what God is, and what we are to believe about God.